Let's prepare our hearts now for the service. Go ahead and take your Bibles. And we're going to be in the book of Genesis here in just a moment. We have come to an awesome place in the story of us. We've looked at so many different individuals. The person we look at today is the person. But we will, we will track toward that because we, we have to see his story through all that we have talked about. It's a powerful story. Years and years ago, there was a great pianist who was going to mount a stage similar to this to a house that was packed out, people there to hear him play his different songs in his excellence. Just a, a phenomenal, rare, gifted person at the keyboard. There was a mom who had a nine-year-old boy. She was trying to get him to be interested in the piano. He didn't like to go to lessons. He didn't like to practice. And she thought if she would take him and let him hear this incredible pianist, that it might change his heart, his attitude toward it. Well, when the mom was coming into the theater for the main event, she had turned her head from her little boy, and he went immediately to the platform, and he he sat right behind that grand piano, and he started to play chopsticks. And it was messy because he wasn't even good at that, but you could at least make it out that that's what he was attempting. And everyone was just, you know, what is going on? And the mom was shocked. And before she could make her way to the stage, the great pianist Pedorowski walks onto the platform behind the little boy and takes his arms, putting them around the little boy, and he whispers in his ear, just keep playing. And on each side of his hands, the maestro begins to play, and he turns that mess into a masterpiece. And so it's kind of like a special moment, and then the little boy goes to sit down, and, and the great pianist does the entire concert all of his great songs, but what is remembered of that night was the song that was all messed up. It, it lacked structure, it lacked class, it lacked significance, but the maestro took that mess and turned it into a masterpiece. That's what's remembered. It's amazing how this story just kind of continues, and, and I think the reason it continues even to this day is because it speaks to the human condition. We're all kind of playing chopsticks like the little boy with life. And we mess it up. It lacks structure and focus and class, significance and influence. But along comes God himself. And with his outstretched arms, he began to resound grace notes that created a song that has become our story, the story of the redeemed. The story starts in the book of Genesis. We have talked about Adam and how God spoke to him and gave him clear instructions about the garden and how there was one tree that they needed to leave alone. The serpent slithers into the garden and tempts Eve about that one tree. She eats from it, Adam eats from it. They go into hiding, blame shifting. And so we see 
all the way back at the beginning of the story, the descent. There's a word that we don't use a lot in this present culture. It's the word depravity. To where now everyone who is born is born with this sin nature. With this propensity to do the wrong thing. Just like glass is kind of like made to shatter. We are in our own nature just going to do the wrong thing. We will cheat, gossip, lie, lust. At times when we don't even want to. Just make a mess of life. That downward descent. But God, as his first kids mess up so horribly, moves into that garden with tenderness. And it says this in the book of Genesis. The seed of the woman will bruise the heel of the serpent. The first prophetic mention of Jesus is in that verse and it comes at the first sin. Longer has man messed everything up until we have a God who's already sounding a note of grace. He then takes skin and uses the skin of an animal as covering for Adam and Eve which could not have happened without the shedding of blood and it's the first time in the Bible where we see the shedding of blood and it is all pointing to a man who would one day come as the maestro to extend his arms around a world of depravity shed his own blood and provide redemption. Today we get to talk about our story. It's interesting how as God deals with Adam and Eve, it says in the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve were ejected from the garden and they moved east of Eden. He doesn't tell us that they moved east just so we understand it geographically, but in also the spiritual context because you know the writer of scripture is writing at different levels and layers and as you swim deep in the stream of scripture you realize that east was the place of separation alienation the place of enemies and danger the story doesn't stop there it says that Eve gave birth to Cain then she gives birth to Abel but Cain has hatred and envy in his heart. Knowing that that is in his heart, God who created everything moves in and talks to Cain. And he says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. In other words, Cain, don't do what is in your heart. And yet, even with God talking to Cain... The depravity goes deeper, and Cain kills Abel. It's an amazing story, and look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
place of enemies, the place of separation, the place of alienation. Here we're just dealing with fruit that was forbidden. Now the depravity deepens and there's murder. The story of us, though, doesn't stop there. Even at that moment, as you study the story of Cain, God moves in to kind of give a mark. It's called the mark of Cain, as if to be a message to everybody that murder is not the way to respond. And yet, at at another level, it's a protection over the life of Cain. In, In the horrible sin of murder, God is still there resounding a grace note. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Look at it with me if you will. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. Look at that refrain. Now God saw. The last time we saw that refrain was in the book of Genesis as it opened. As God is creating and as he saw it, he declared it is good. But now all God sees is evil and corruption, depravity. It's even worse. And so now there's going to be a major flood and it's going to bring destruction. But a grace note resounds and God raises up a man by the name of Noah. He declares the word of truth for 120 years, though no one but his family responds. The rain begins to fall, and it seems all hope is lost. But at the end of it all, God paints across the sky a symbol, a sign. The maestro is once again playing a grace note as a rainbow splashes across the sky. As if to say there's a better time coming. Yet, as we continue in the story of us, We come to this very interesting passage. Look at Genesis 11, 2 through 4. Genesis 11, verse 2 says, As the people migrated, notice the direction, as they migrated to the east, the depravity is deepening, the separation is widening. They found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. (laughs) You've got... A parenthesis here that's important. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Verse 4, then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. Most every other version says that reaches into the heavens. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. God had given instructions, but they're not listening. They are doing their own thing. Can you imagine a culture where people would use their own intellect and technology to puff themselves up? They don't like their place. That's not just their story. That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, where where the serpent said to Eve, if you'll just eat of this fruit, you can be like God, not accepting her place and wanting to be, you know, in in the big chair. She sins and Adam sins and not wanting to accept instruction. Cain kills Abel, not wanting to listen to the voice of God. Every heart became evil under Noah's day. And now we get to this place and now the people are going to do it their way. And it's very, very interesting, so artfully told Look at Genesis 11, verse 5. 
It says this. If you'll go to that verse for me, Genesis 11, verse 5. And I'm just getting a signal that we don't have 11, 5. So thank God for hard copy. Genesis 11, verse 5. Look at this. But the Lord, now listen to the language. But the Lord came down. The Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Now they say, we're going to build a tower up to the heavens. And God has to come down to look at their tower to the heavens. Artfully told. And, and God wants it in here that they use brick and mortar. They didn't use stone. You see, in Israel, they built with stone that which would last a lot longer than brick. But in their great intellect and technology, they're going to use bricks and build it to the heavens. And God has to come down to see their tower to heaven that's made out of brick. And there you have the story of man. But there's a grace note. They're scattered. And in that scattering is grace or else they would have destroyed each other. And when we come to this part of Genesis where forbidden fruit has been eaten, murder has occurred, a flood over the world, and now this Tower of Babel, it's like the prologue of Genesis ends there at chapter 11, and it is hopeless. It's too far gone, it seems. But God who is a maestro and and makes a masterpiece out of our messed up lives, says, hey, Abraham, I have a plan for your life because I have a plan for the nations. I have a plan for the world. I'm going to make of you a great name and every family of the earth will be blessed because of you. And that promise was put into covenant as animals were sacrificed and blood was shed. Another prophetic indicator that there is coming one who will provide redemption for all mankind. So this nation is growing and and it is building and it's almost reaching nation status and there's a guy by the name of Pharaoh that gets fearful that they're going to take over and so he captures every one of them brings them into slavery in a place called Egypt and now it's chopsticks no grace to be seen no freedom bondage domination You watch what Pharaoh does to those people and it's just such a type of what Satan does to people. Such dominance, cruelty. Breaking their backs and breaking their spirits. But there is a God who hears their cry and sounds a note of hope and walking right into Egypt is a man by the name of Moses. And he says, let my people go. The heart of Pharaoh was very difficult and even hardened. And one time we see Moses giving the word, you better get the the word to everybody to go out and sacrifice an animal, not just any animal. It was very precise. And then you take the blood from that animal and you put it on top of the door. And you put it on the left and the right. 
which was an indicator that one day there would be one man with arms outstretched and that blood would come down from his brow just as the blood sprinkled in front of the mercy seat. There was a note of grace being played even in all of the bondage of Egypt. And look at Exodus 6, verse 6. Awesome verse. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful armed and great acts of judgment. I think we should stop right here and give God praise that he has a grace note to play in the midst of our misery. Hallelujah to God. We've studied David. We went into the time of the kings with Zedekiah last week and saw as they would trust God, then turn from God and say, God, we don't need you and we don't want you. And God would raise up a prophet to declare it just seems like the depravity got deeper and deeper and deeper. And then things go silent. I want to ask you a question using this as an illustration to tie this together. In the 1960s, there was a single publication that was the largest of the time. What do you think that publication was? And, and I'll, I'll give you a hint. It was a catalog. Over here, I'm hearing what? Sears, anybody else? Anybody have a different answer than Sears? Montgomery Ward. Anyone have a different answer than Sears or Montgomery Ward? Life? Let me just give you the answer. S&H Green Stamps. Somebody just told us exactly how old you are. There was this catalog that was produced that had green stamps. And it was the largest catalog, the largest publication of the time. It was the biggest. Made three times more stamps than the U.S. Postal Service. And you collected these stamps and then you, you brought them to what's called the Redemption Center. Where you traded a measly stamp for something of value, like... A to you, you could take a few stamps and get a toaster. This is a documented fact. A, an elementary school in Pennsylvania, they saved up, among them all, 5.4 million green stamps, and they traded them in and provided a gorilla for the local zoo. I mean, you can get a gorilla for these stamps. That's a documented fact. I'm talking, these were the deal. And for any of you that might can crawl up in the attic and still find some of those stamps, listen to this. The Redemption Center is still open today. It hasn't closed. It's still redeeming. You take the old dusty, tattered stamp and you can trade it in. I use that illustration to talk about the next person in the story of us, his name, Jesus. We've talked about Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, Zedekiah. Today, we talk about Jesus because we've been seeing him from the beginning. 
He's all through every one of those stories I just referenced. Without him in the story, the story has no happy ending. There's no happy day. But this awesome man, Jesus, with endless patience and at infinite cost, gives himself one day, the scripture says, in the fullness of time. God comes in the form of a baby. The baby is raised, and at age 30, he enters into full-time ministry and finds himself on a hill called Calvary. And the reason he's there is because he's about to open up the redemption center. I want to read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Look at it. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Do you understand now what is happening in the shedding of the blood of Jesus? Look at Ephesians 1, 7. And then in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. All of the sacrifices go all the way back to where God himself killed an animal, shed its blood, provided covering. That initiated something that you see in in sacrifices being offered, tens of thousands in the Old Testament, but only for the covering, never for the overall and once and for all cleansing of sin. But it was pointing to one who would be better than the angels and better than the prophets. It was pointing to the one who's the express image of God's glory. His name is Jesus Christ. And when he stretched out his arms and shed his blood and gave his life, redemption came to the world once and for all not a covering but a cleansing now this redeemer and if you'll look at this picture that I want to put up for you has opened up a redemption center and we come with our guilt we come with our tattered lives of shame and sin we come with our regrets we leave with hope We come to the redemption center with all of our inadequacy and failure and we leave with authentic spiritual power. We come to this redemption center with all of our sorrow and we trade it in and we walk away from the redemption center with joy that words cannot describe. This story of the world, this story of us is a story of broken, messed up people playing chopsticks and we can't fix ourselves but God says let me wrap my arms of love around it and let me begin to hit the grace notes and we come to the redemption center and we learn this long before we messed up our lives he messed up his so that we could become the righteousness of God if that doesn't make you want to clap your hands in I, I, I don't know What should bring a praise? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, At the cross, 
where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by grace I received my sight. And now, oh, happy day. Oh, and now, and now I am happy. Anybody happy? Because you've been to the Redemption Center. I am happy all the day. Hallelujah. Brought my shame to the cross. My guilt, my sin, and there the burden of my heart pulled away. I, I was trying, but life didn't sound right. There was no rhythm. There was no structure. There was, there was not a freedom resounding. And, and, and in all of my effort, it just sounded worse. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, he gave himself the ultimate sacrifice. The one who knew no sin became sin. See, I just, in all of my restlessness and and trying, you you finally start to ask the question, is there anyone who can replace what Adam erased? Is there anyone who can reverse the curse? When they were ejected out of the garden, it seemed that the door closed on a life of hope and freedom and that it would never be opened again. Is there anyone who can reopen that door where we can be reconciled to God? And the answer, hallelujah, is yes. His name is Jesus. He is the door. He is the way. And all can come to the Father by Him. Hallelujah. So this is our story. But maybe, so there's no confusion, we use again the words of a phenomenal song, and I have to say it like this, this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchased of God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. It's the story of many in this room. The question, is it your story? This is our story, yes, but... For it to be your story, it's not enough for blood to be shed. It must be blood applied. There must be confession made. We must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Savior, that he is the Redeemer. He is the only one who can provide it. And when you express that out of your heart, you will be saved. And then you join. You join the song. Now your mess becomes a masterpiece in the hands of a God who strikes the grace notes in your heart specifically and personally to you and you join the chorus, this is my story. If it needs to be your story today, it can be. If you're singing in the moan of a minor key, the story of sin, shame, regret, and pain, then today I invite you to hear these words in your heart as the master himself, the maestro himself, Jesus Christ, comes right up behind you and says, keep playing. And he wraps his arms around you. You see him there. 
all my confusion. He understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. You hear it? You hear your song? You mean me, pastor? Yeah, he takes, he takes your sin, he takes your story and turns it into a, a song that glorifies him. He can save to the uttermost. He can save you. He can reach you. He can change you. He can deliver you. Uh, you feel the arms of darkness and domination. I want to tell you, at the cross, that darkness was dominated by Christ himself, and now you can be free. You can be free. With your eyes closed in his presence, I believe it's time for God to make a masterpiece. He's here today. He's here. If today you would say, Pastor Ron, I've got to be honest with you, my story presently is one that is very messed up. When you, when you say that from your heart, your, your mind races with the details, with, with the color commentary of all that you've been involved in, done, had done to you. And life, life is just really messed up. Today, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, just open your heart to Jesus. Surrender. Submit. Come to the redemption center. Come and make a trade. Your sorrow, pain, sin, all of those things you've done for his salvation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love. You come and make the trade. It is called the divine exchange. His life for your brokenness. His love for your emptiness. His power for your inadequacy. His peace for your unrest. The divine exchange. You'd say, I need that, I need that. I need Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. Raise it high. Raise it with courage. Raise it with faith. We will believe God for you. If for whatever reason you've once tasted this glorious salvation and you've heard the song of the redeemed in your own heart, but you allowed the tempter to come, confuse you and deceive you, and you've walked away, you're not in that right relationship with your Redeemer. And today you want to turn. You want to repent. You want to start over without having to start again. Because that is the power of grace. You can start over without having to start again. You repent. And he who is faithful and just will forgive you of all unrighteousness. Today, you need to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand right now. Say, that is me. I need to be right with God. Yes. Lord, for 
those who are responding now. Let grace flow into their souls like, like a stream, like a river. Let the exchange occur. Deliver, forgive, lift the guilt, remove the shame, the regret. Fill their hearts with your love, power, grace, and life. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who paid the price, the one who shed blood for us, we come today to the cross, the redemption center that is still open, still redeeming. For that person who's heard this story, maybe more times than they can count, but for whatever reason, they've not opened their own heart to it, maybe today is their day. That they would not reject or resist, but they would open their heart and allow your love to do the greatest miracle that we'll ever know, and that's the miracle of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.